dance if you want to, you can leave your friends behind. If your friends don't dance, then they ain't no friend of mine. We can go where we want to, you can pull your penis out. It's your chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 25th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. Get your shoes shined up, boy. Boy. Ooh, I'm gonna run you ragged, boy. Gonna make you sweat. Gonna make you earn every drop. Today, boy. Boy. Fetch my riding crop, boy. It's a new format. It's a new format. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. This is our 89th episode and our first video log, vlog, vodcast. Hallelujah. How you doing? You ever wanted to see me in action? Now's your chance. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. I wouldn't say I have much of an ego. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a narcissist. I wouldn't say that, like, there's a chip on my shoulder, some sort of ego, egocentric nature about me. I just have a love for storytelling, you know, like, as I mentioned before on the podcast, um, if you go back to the foundations of humanity, You'll find that, you know, back in the early days in sub-Sahara Africa, there were cavemen, or maybe it was in Iceland or some polar bear's warehouse, wherever it was. You'll find a cave, and, you know, there was cavemen. You know, like cavemen and women, you know, and they would take a shit. And they'd take a dump and, you know, they'd smear shit on the wall and they'd tell a story, you know. This is the story of how, like, a little lamb wandered around in the lamb field. You know, little lambs and ducks and stuff. You know, shit like that. And they'd tell a story about deers and birds and shit and they'd smear shit and berries on a wall. And they would tell a story, the story of um, humanity. And that's more or less what acting is. It's a heightened version of uh, storytelling. Now, as an actor, 18 years of service, diploma in theater arts, um, came in the game as a youngin, pocket full of something, out cash money, came in the game as a youngin, uh, did a lot of like uh, school productions, high school productions, musicals, uh, boring, tumultuous bullshit stuff that nobody wanted to see. It was pain. It was degrading, degrading. It was demoralizing. It was just a horrendous shit storm of a nightmare. I fucking hated every second of it. But it was crucial. It was crucial in the life of the performer as the artist to you know go out and strode those boards. Stride those boards, get some experience. So I did all that as a youngin, and then I went on to theater school, where I studied the greats: Shakespeare, Moliere, Chekhov, 
Um, O'Neill, Shaw, you know, a couple other cuckolds, a couple of bozos, you know, you know, other playwrights and shit like that. You, you, you study the greats and, um, you study methods of acting, you know, um, the method coined by Stanislavski. Now I never fucking liked Stanislavski, you know, as a brother, as hashtag, uh, Oscar so white. As a brother, came in in the game as a youngin, trying to get this acting shit going. It was hard. You know, it's like, oh, if you want to be an actor, you should read An Actor Prepares. And they give me this fucking slanderous book. I open it up. It's about some Russian cosmonaut back in fucking 1802 doing some fucking whack-ass Shakespeare production. And he's like, oh, I was an actor in Russia and I was playing Othello and I wanted to act like a black man. So I smeared chocolate on my face and I would smash my teeth and crack. I was an actor and I had chocolate on my face. Like you fucking cosmonaut. Suck my dick. I didn't read that shit. So I don't give a blood clot. I don't give a bumble clot. Yeah, rise clot. I don't give a bumble clot. Fuck about like the method acting. Like fuck that shit. That's for like that hoity-toity fucking, um, you know, that fucking Dr. Seuss mother goose cat in the hat fake ass fucking like let those actors do that shit. That ain't for me. Well, you know, <laughs> there's elements of it that um, you just can't avoid as an actor. You know, you can define it how you want to define it. But I never read that book. But basically the method acting, which, you know, most actors toolbox is a little bit of this a little bit of that it's like a bento box you know nagasaki bento box all actors have a little bit of a bento box you know a little bit of miso a little bit of spring roll a little bit of fucking uh yellowtail snapper roll a little bit of fucking egg foo young you know it's it's a bento box of bullshit as an actor the method is basically, um, you know, emotional memory, emotional recall as a method actor. You know, you think about some traumatic thing. Oh, my childhood. Oh, the pain. The pain of existence. Uh, you know, oh, that time when, um, you know, my mom wouldn't fucking, you know, I don't know, take me to the park. And I had to sit in my, by myself in my bedroom and stare out the window. It was three o'clock in the afternoon and she told me to go for a nap. And I was so sad and all the other kids were outside playing. I felt like such a loser. You know, it's like shit like that. You, you, you draw upon those emotional wells as an actor. And then, you know, you take it to the stage. Emotional memory. So that's like one of the hallmarks of method acting. Working from the inside out or the outside in. That's debatable. You know, working from the inside out means like, okay, you have a character. On paper, your character is, um, let's say for myself as a man, okay, he's a businessman with a wife and kid, um, you know, like Arthur Miller, um, Death of a Salesman. Okay, so you're playing some washed up salesman, you know, you're on the road selling bullshit to retards, um, your wife ain't as hot as she used to be, so you're fucking around. Your son's a fucking loser. Both your sons are losers. And you're trying to, you know, get a little bit of excitement in your life, so you're fucking some prostitute out on the road. And uh, I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly how Death of a Salesman plays out, but it's along those lines. You know, you're some washed-up salesman. You're fucking around with prostitutes. Your kids are morons. Your wife's ugly. And 
where is that emotional inner life, right? Where's that emotional inner life? So as a character, as an actor, you, you, you think about the character from the inside, like, oh, the inside. Like where, what, what makes that character tick on the inside? And then you try to take it out. So it's like all the emotional characterizations of the character, you take it from the inside and you put it out. And what the out is, is like the, um, the aesthetic. Maybe there's a certain walk, a certain inflection in the tone of your voice, or a certain this or a certain that, the aesthetic, right? Working from the inside out. You know, emotional characterization, physical characterization, inside out. Or sometimes the or sometimes people work from the inside. Do my porky pig routine for you. That's all, folks. Sometimes people work from the outside in, meaning like, okay, if I get a walk a certain way, like um, if I know that the character is like, let's say, um, okay, um, Eugene O'Neill, the hairy ape. That's an existential, or sorry, a um, what do they call it? Expressionism. See, I learned this in theater school. It's like a play about expressionism, I believe, which can be defined as, well, I got a dictionary. Expressionism is basically like, um, I don't want to do some hoity-toity tutorial tutorial on what is art or what isn't art or different expressions in art. But expressionism, as far as I can tell, is like, um, you know, it's even beside the point. Actually, well, I might as well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the trap as, I'm in the trap, so I might as well fucking open my trap and explain it. Expressionism is like basically movement, rhythmical movement in a chorus, like repetitive movements in a chorus um, to convey a higher idea. Like, um, let's say everybody marching in step to express the idea of like, um, let's say a dictatorship or like industrialization. Don't take my fucking word for it. Ask Merriam-Webster. So let me check this shit out here. Um, expressionism. 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 Exasperation. You guys are probably feeling some of that right now, I can tell. Expressionism, expressionism, expressionism. I'm too stupid to use a dictionary, too. Well, I'm not, but you know how it is. I'm wearing sunglasses, too. It's not exactly easy to read and wear sunglasses. You've tried that at the beach, haven't you? Expressionism, expressionism, expressionism. Uh Uh-huh. A style in art literature stressing the subjective element in experience and the symbolic aspects of objects. Yeah, like the symbolic aspect of objects and sometimes repetitiveness. Symbolism, basically. Yes, that's more so the idea. The symbolic aspects of objects or just symbolism. Like, um, I don't know. Yeah. So like, for example, in The Hairy Ape, 
by uh, Eugene O'Neill. Some of the expressionism was through the, some some of the symbolism, the symbolic symbolism, was in like uh, there was a scene in which uh, there's this character. He's like a uh, maintenance man on a ship, basically. He's like a blue collar worker on a ship, and he's walking in the downtown, and he's walking in one direction. And there's a stream of people coming at him in a different direction. And they're with their heads down and they're bumping into him. And the symbolism of the character walking in one direction and the rest of society walking in the other direction with their heads down. The symbolism there was the robotic nature of like, let's say, the workplace, the nine to five the symbolism of, um, you know, drones, the worker bee. That was part of the symbolism. How everybody was so robotic, we're walking in this direction. And then the hairy ape, the fucking, uh, you know, the, the blue collar worker, he's all like, he's like basically like Popeye. I am who I am, I who I am. And uh, how come everybody's up? And he's, he's all angry and shit and. You know, that's what it is. It's like that symbolism, basically, like to symbolize. Ah, fuck! I was on a, I was on such a fucking roll. That's another thing as an actor too. You fuck up sometimes. <laughs> Take two. Um, but you know, like sometimes, that's just basically what it is. The symbolism of like you know. The symbolism of, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the hairy ape, that actor. Fuck that shit. I saw, I started to yell. I'm getting pissed off now. Let me get to the point of this. It's basically working from the inside out. Right? So it's like the characterization is what I'm trying to say. Is like sometimes you got an actor... That instead of working from the inside out, they work from the outside in, meaning their movements, right? Because that character in the hairy ape, he's very physical, he's very brash, he's very like, you know, very manly, ooga booga, Tarzan, me, Jane, type of thing, right? So you could work from the outside in. Okay, you know the character is kind of very brawny, very brass. Very, you know, very manly, testosterone. You could work from the outside in where it's like, okay, so there's the exterior, the aesthetic of, oh, I'm a big man. Well, what is that characterization inside? What does that mean? Where does that come from? What is, what's there? All right? So those are some things. And, um... The craft of acting is just wide and vast. And a lot of this stuff sounds very, um, to the layman, I mean, if you're not an actor, you don't know, maybe you're curious, maybe you don't know, maybe you do know, but a lot of this stuff can sound very vague, but it truly is the difference between good acting and bad acting. You know, a good actor does this homework, a good actor or actress does this type of homework, does this type of study, puts this type of thought you know, like, okay, yeah, am I working from the inside out? Am I working from what the character is feeling inside and portraying that aesthetically outside? 
or are they working from the outside in? What does the character look like on the outside aesthetically and how does that make them feel inside? Or is it a mixture of both? And flushing out these details using emotional memory, as I mentioned there, the Stanislavski approach, you know, um, emotional memory, emotional recall, drawing upon those um, experiences, or sometimes, like as in the uh, Meisner method, one of the hallmarks of Stanford Meisner. Ah, my name's Stanford Meisner. I want truth, goddammit, truth. Ah, my name's Stanford Meisner. I changed smoked cigarettes for 75 years. Now I'm dying from emphysema. Ah, you gotta feel it in your gut, your soul. I'm Stanford Meisner. Ah. Stanford Meisner was an um, acting coach, very prominent, very well-known um, acting uh, instructor, one of the greatest of the 20th century. He had a lot of um, contemporaries, uh, can't name them off the top of my head, but very well-known, respected acting instructor from New York. And uh, his acting method was like, you know, the Meisner method. Sanford Meisner, the Meisner method, Meisner technique, which is basically like uh, one major aspect was the magic if, acting as if under circumstances, right? So the difference being like um, method acting, it's very much based on emotional recall. So drawing parallels from your own emotional experience with your characterizations. You know, portraying the character using emotional parallels in your personal life. Like I mentioned, mommy sent you to bed early and you felt really demoralized and disrespected. So then you can bring that to your pissy characterization of some, you know, punk ass bitch or whatever. Whereas in the Meisner technique, Meisner method, it would be like, okay, well, if I want to act like a punk ass bitch, maybe I'll just act as if. What would it be like as if I was a punk ass bitch? Because I would know nothing about that. So I'd have to ask, I would have to act as if I was a punk-ass bitch or something, right? And so on and so forth. <laughs> Maybe that's not the best character. So on and so forth wasn't what I meant to say. But it's, it's like that, basically. <laughs> if you have any questions or queries on that, you can email me at jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any um, actor insight, questions on the method acting, question on the Sanford Meisner method questions on anything actor related just hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com um but yeah that that is kind of um some of my background as an actor um i went to theater school and that's kind of some of the stuff they taught me there um they were introductions and um yeah, introductions into those worlds. Method acting, Meisner method technique, and musical theater, which I definitely hated. I hated that. I hated musical theater. Not much of a singer. Well, actually, no, that's not right. That's not true. It's it's not that I don't like singing or I don't, can't do it or don't appreciate it. I'm not the greatest singer, but it more so is that's not how I see my acting. I'm not like a musical theater actor. A diddly doo dum doo. Like, that's a whole other thing. 
that it should be done. Like, that's the thing. Do what you love. I love acting in the traditional sense of a stage play or a film or a vodcast or, um, you know, I like acting in that nature. I don't like, you know, I had to sing. A, I remember I had to sing a fucking musical theater song for like my introduction to uh, my musical theater class or whatever. We had one of the projects, uh, we had to sing a song. Well, we always had to sing musicals. We always had to work on songs for musicals. But the one that I did was, all I ever did was I tried to get laughs. I never went for um, sounding good or being good. The way I went through it was just to be funny, right? So I remember I walked up in front of my class, right? This was like 2004. (laughs) And somehow I'm still, uh, and that's neither here nor there. But anyway... I walk up in front of the class and I go, hello, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my name's Jonathan Ramtram. I'll be singing Hey Mama by the Black Eyed Peas. And I turned and I nodded at the, at the pianist. I'm just fucking with you guys. I'll be singing Old Man River from Showboat. Because I didn't know any fucking better. Like I thought as a black man I had to sing like slave hymns, you know. There's an old man called the Mississippi. That's the old man that I'd like to be. What does he care if the world has trouble? What does he care if he can't roam free? Old man river, that old man river, he must know something, but don't say nothing, he just keeps rolling, he just keeps rolling, he just keeps rolling along. That fucking fascinating to you, slave hymns? Old Man River. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know? Showboat is like a fucking musical about a plantation or some shit, right? The Deep South. (laughs) I'm singing Old Man River. I didn't know what the fuck to do, right? It was musical theater. I was fucking 17 years old. Just wetting my beak, you know? Just wetting my beak as an actor. Like I said, you go through all sorts of shit. And not like I said, but what I'm about to say. You go through a bunch of shit as a performer. It's not for the fucking faint of heart. You know, you're going to fucking get out there and shake your tail feather, make a fucking fool of yourself, embarrass yourself, go against your family, your friends. You know, they think like, what the fuck are you doing this for, man? Like, are you serious? But that's just, that's what you do. You do it for the love. You do it for the joy. For the pain. For the pleasure of being an artist. One of the best advices best advice I ever got. Well, maybe not so much advice. Yeah, I guess you'd call it advice. My acting coach um, in uh, theater school, my acting coach, uh, he once told me, he goes, do you love yourself in the art or do you love the art in you? That's very poignant. Do you love yourself in the art or do you love the art in you? 
Now, as a precursor to this, like my acting coach, he was a fucking mental patient. He was like five foot two, uh, very temperamental, very thespian-like, very fucking curmudgeon He once threw a fucking little chubby, little chubby water bottle at me. Do you guys remember little chubby? Like little chubby, the little juice boxes? These little fucking hundred milliliter bottles of juice? He was drinking on a little chubby, and he was like in the middle of trying to teach me something about acting. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know it all. And then he got all pissed off, right? He goes... You call yourself an actor? Hey, ah! And he fucking throws a little chubby at me, right? I'm like, Fuck, man. You know, so, you know, that's what I'm saying. As an actor, you got all sorts of shit. You get people throwing water bottles at you and shit, little chubbies. But even though he threw his little temper tantrum, and then he threw a chair too, right? He's like, ah! He throws a fucking chair and he throws a little fucking chubby water bottle at me, right? And I'm ducking water bottles and shit. And then, but then on the flip side of that was, he would lose his temper, but the flip side of that was he had a lot of great advice, this acting thespian coach of mine. He goes, yeah, do you love yourself in the art or do you love the art in you? And that's very poignant because it's like some people in artistic communities, they love themselves in the art. Oh, I get to act all trendy and this and that and uh. And I'm an artist, and uh, I can sit around and talk about expressionism and what it means to be an actor working from the inside out or the outside in, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that is too, too solid flesh would melt thaw and resolve itself into milky dew. Oh, well, all of Arabia's perfumes not sweet in this little hand. Oh, I'm an actor. Like, do you love yourself in the art? Do you love looking cute and sitting cross-legged on a fucking interview? Or do you love the art in you? See, now I'm being myself, taking the sunglasses off. Do you love the art in you? Do you love the idea of like being yourself? Can you hear that? That's my neighbor dropping shit in the hallway. But do you love the art in you? Do you love the idea of like what is artistic in you to seek that out and to attach yourself to that rather than the glitz and the glamour, the fame and the fortune? Do you love what is truly artistic about you? And that's what I'm trying to ride, you know, because that's what it's always been. You know, I used to equate success with uh, fame and fortune. Um, I wanted to be successful on those levels just because I thought that's what it meant. But through my journey of performing, I truly understand that I do this because I love doing it and I just want to work. That's basically it. And that's the idea behind the podcast, you know, just to keep myself busy and working, you know, and um, I'm loving the art in me versus myself in the art. So there you have it. Jonathan Ramtran, actor. I am also a alcoholic and alcoholic. Two years, nine months of sobriety. Two years, nine months of sobriety. Happy hallelujah. If you do need sobriety in your life, ladies and gentlemen, please call the cops. But please, go out and seek it. You know what I mean? Get yourself together. Get out there and uh, I'm not trying to demoralize you or, um, you know, talk down to you there. Get yourself together. But what I'm saying is, you know, 
Well, actually, I am talking down to you, you fucking lush. You washed up loser. You rotten, crummy, good for nothing. Lay about hole in the wall, bubble guppy. You fucking bubble guppy. Aren't you sick of your friends laughing at you behind your back? Your girlfriend hates you. Your parents won't talk to you. You can't borrow money from the bank. Aren't you sick of your pathetic life? (laughs) I was. You know, I went pretty low, you know? I was getting too much loving myself in the art versus the art in me. When you love yourself too much in the art, you can tend to um, get carried away in experimenting. So I did a lot of, um, I was drinking constantly. Getting fucking drunk on the regular. Smoking pot. Chain smoking cigarettes. I thought I was artistic. I thought I was, um, you know, reinventing the wheel, so to speak, you know? Oh, I am this artist who drinks and smokes marijuana and chain smokes cigarettes. (sighs) Oh, I'm above norms of society. And I was playing that role for a while. And you get to a point where it's like you got to love the art in you. Versus yourself in the art. I was getting carried away. Uh, I went down to a bottom, man. I went to the bottom of the barrel. I lived in a men's shelter for four months. (laughs) And uh, I bounced around. I was drunk and high on stage. And where I'm sitting now, two years. And uh, nine... uh, Two years and nine months of sobriety, where I'm sitting now is um, <laughs> it's kind of funny when you um, well, it is funny when you you know being in front of this camera talking. I feel like I'm talking to a person, and then I I felt like I was really having a conversation there, and then I look, and I'm staring at a fucking GoPro. <laughs> I talk to myself. No, but like where where I'm where I'm really getting to is a place of where I've always been actually in my recovery. One of the things I did get right in my life was, you know, I fucked up a lot, right? Like uh, on my journey to sobriety, I drank for 16 years. I started when I was 14 years old. I drank until the age of 30, right? And in my lowest lowest hours, I even turned to Doctor Phil, Doctor Phil. You know, I'd come home from work, crack a beer. <laughs> You know, drink it, light a cigarette, chain smoking cigarette, smoking joints. I'm watching Dr. Phil. You know what your problem is? You got a bad fucking attitude. You got a problem with responsibility. You got a problem accepting reality. You have no accountability in your life. I'm like, save me, Dr. Phil, save me. I'm sorry. I'm such a fucking loser. You know, so I tried so many different avenues of recovery. I tried Dr. Phil. I tried white knuckling it, even though I'm black. White palming it. I tried white palming it, you know, white knuckling it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't stop from drinking. That was an old fucking, um, uh, I guess that was an old, uh, what do you call it? Blazing Saddles gag. You remember that? When they're in white face or no, they're, they got the hoods on. Hey, how come this guy's black? I know it's you know no it's just a little bit of dirt you know it's coming off. <laughs> old gag, old Mel Brooks gag, Gene Wilder gag, 
<clears throat> but anyway, like, you know, I turned to Dr. Phil in my lowliest hours. I, I was trying all sorts of ways of recovery. And what worked for me was I got into a 12-step program. And that's nothing official. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to give any personal information. You just meet with a society of people striving for sobriety. You practice different steps of recovery. And day by day, your days add up. And then you find yourself in a new day, in a new dawn, in a new life. And um, it's a blessing. And I like to stress the joy. Because from the very beginning of my recovery, it was joyful. And you don't hear that enough. And that's the dialogue that I try to bring. That's the little bit that I try to impart. Is that it can be a joyful thing. Truly. I mean, on one hand, I could look at this vlog... You know, and be like, oh, fucking YouTubers, and oh, everybody has a podcast, and oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm so ungrateful for things in my life where it's like, yo, when I was at the bottom of that barrel, when I was turning to Dr. Phil for advice, which is a great source of advice, I like Dr. Phil. <laughs> but like, you know, when I was in my real fucked up place, I had nothing. Nothing good was going for me. I was like, 30 pounds overweight, bloated, beer gut, beer belly, fucking bottle baby, and drinking every fucking day, smoking cigarettes, you know, lungs were bad, sweaty, bloated, overweight, and, you know, the gratitude and the joy in recovery was, it was a chance for me to reconnect with the real version of myself, to reinvest in myself in a real, meaningful way, and that's the joy that I like to impart upon people because a lot of times in recovery what I was hearing a lot and don't I'm not trying to um, it's valid one of the realities of a substance abuser an alcoholic an addict one of the elements is um, a lot of regret one of the many element one of the many elements is you know regret Guilt, some of the many elements. <laughs> the elements. You know what elements are, you fucking idiot? Some of the elements of um, going through a recovery is that there's going to be guilt. There's going to be shame. There's going to be remorse. There's going to be humiliation, um, accountability, all those things. And on the outset, at the outset, it could seem very daunting, like, oh my God, my life is fucked. And now I have to turn it around. And oh my God, now I'm looking in the mirror. And oh my God, who am I? <laughs> right? Well, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of joy. Hey, like, like I'm like everybody. I had my amends to make. I had the accountability I had to take. But at the end of the day, I was very grateful and I am remaining very grateful for the chance to get back at myself. <laughs> get revenge on myself. You know, get some recovery. And I'm healthy and I'm happy and I'm doing things. I got a podcast. This is 89 episodes, first uh, video podcast. And yo, this could be for anybody to do something in their life the same way. This is like, you know, whatever the fuck it is. Are you a baker? Get to baking. Get those fucking cupcakes made, cupcake. Muffin, 
It's a glorious chance to be yourself for real. So yes, Jonathan Ramcharan, two years sober, two years and nine months sober. I don't know why I'm doing that. Two years and nine months sober. You know, I'm a kid again. Happy hallelujah. And I am also a janitor. Yeah, so what? I'm a janitor, huh? So what? What? You wouldn't kiss a janitor, huh? Do grimy for you, huh? Yeah, your mother thought you could do better than me, didn't she? Didn't she? No, Jonathan, no, don't say that. I love janitors, Jonathan. You know, you're, oh, you're delusional. I never said that. I love janitors. I think they're sexy, Jonathan. Oh, no. You, you, you lying bitch. No, I don't, have a, I don't have a chip on my shoulder about it at all. I love being a janitor. It facilitates a few things in my life. Like, um, as I mentioned, I am an alcoholic. As I just mentioned, <laughs> I'm a raging alcoholic. Two years and, uh, two, you know, fingers. Two years and uh, nine months of sobriety. Coming up ten months very soon. And, um, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. So when you're sitting around and you're fucking twiddling your thumbs and you're twiddly D and you're doing dick all with your life, that's when <laughs> that's when some of the negativity and the bad feelings and the, you know, what if? Oh, the grass looks greener over there. <laughs> oh, what, the grass looks greener over there. How come that cow gets that grass and I'm over here eating this same old grass? <laughs> you know, grass looks greener over there. The cattle look more fed. You know, you start, you know, you start twiddling your thumbs and idle hands are the devil's playground, you know. So working as a janitor gives me the opportunity to make a living, to uh, cover my overhead, you know, pay for all the production value stuff to be a producer of comedy, acting, whatever the fuck I'm trying to do. You know, this all costs money. This is my mic right here. This is my other other mic. You know, I've got several microphones as a performer, a podcaster. You know, several microphones, cameras, apartment, backdrops, clothing, sparkling water. This shit ain't, this shit ain't fucking cheap. Well, it's pretty cheap, but, you know, it's, it's, it's what it is. Where it's like, you know, just being grateful for having a day-to-day job that pays my bills, you know? And number two, it facilitates my performing. As I mentioned, you, you, you need things to be a performer. You got to, um, you know, you can't be living on people's couches for the rest of your fucking life. So if you want to up your game as a performer, you got to be able to cover your bases. So that's where the gratitude of being a janitor comes in. And, um, you know, uh, one thing that does get me laughing, though, is, you know, I'm talking urinals, toilets, uh sweeping mopping you know shit like that it's a grimy fucking grind y'all it's a grimy grind y'all but it pays the bills and you know one thing i will say is i hate and i and i alluded to these things on the last couple episodes my main beef with being a janitor is um number one being complicit in the lie like, as a janitor, I'm talking about urinals, toilets, toilet bowls, vomit, piss stains, uh, mopping toilets, like things of this nature. 
Sometimes I go to work, and I work at a very high-profile building in downtown Toronto. Shout out to the six, you know what I mean? T-dot, T-O, the six. I forgot to mention, I live in Toronto, Canada. But anyways, well, actually, I've mentioned, this is is episode 89, goddammit. What, am I supposed to be shy because I'm on video camera? I don't give a fuck anytime, anywhere, motherfucker, you know? Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast. Sitting around pretending like I've never done this before, just because you're watching? Fuck you. But, um... I just have a fucking spasm. But what I'm trying to say is like, uh, I work in downtown Toronto, high profile building. Sometimes when you're mopping toilets and shit, you can't help but notice you become complicit in the lie. Now everybody in town, in life, life is about stature. The societal dream is about stature. You know, who are you? Where do you work? What do you do? What money do you make? Where do you fit in society? Stature, right? So there's these people. They work in these downtown businesses, this downtown office. High-functioning professionals, suit and tie, dresses and heels. They come to work every day. Oh, I'm so special. Yet, from the second people get to work at this building that I work at, from the second they get to work till the second they leave... People are in and out of the bathroom. (laughs) Shitting, pissing, doing God knows what in these bathroom stalls incessantly, consistently. So there I am, complicit in the lie. Don't these people have work to do? Do you really hate your life that much that to like, you know, save yourself from doing 20 minutes of a job that you hate, you go and hide in a bathroom stall. And I'm being fucking condescending and judging here because, you know, I used to do that. I remember the moment, I think I must have been around the age of 25, when I said, I am no longer taking public dumps. Any toilet that is not my toilet is a disgusting toilet to me. I am not shitting in a public toilet. And I used to shit in public toilets just like everybody else. I used to go and... You know, I'd be on, I used to do all sorts of work. I used to work as a temporary, uh, as like a, what do you call it? A telemarketer. So I'd be working in an office as a temporary telemarketer, telemarketing jobs that I used to have back in the day. I'd go sneak off to the bathroom, take a dump. I'd even jerk off at work. I'm not proud of this. You think I'm proud of this? To have to sit here on the internet and tell people I used to masturbate at work? Yes. And I used the word masturbate. I would sit in a toilet stall fantasize about previous sexual escapades I had with various women, get sexually aroused, manually tug myself to ejaculation. I'm not proud of this. You know? All because I hated my job. I masturbated at work because I hated my job. That's just what it was. I would masturbate at work because I hated my job. I would take a shit in a public toilet because I hated my job. And at some point I said, no, enough of this. I'm going to go and give an honest day's work. And I'm not going to care about taking a shit in a toilet just to save myself from doing a job I hate. If I really hate that job this much, I need to get out of this job as quick as possible. 
And that's what I mean about being complicit in the lie. All these professionals in their suits and ties and their dresses and heels, shitting and pissing and jerking off and finger banging themselves at work, all for the sake of wasting 20 minutes, all because they hate their job and they hate their existence. So yes, I am a janitor. (laughs) And I consider myself in jail. I'm in jail. I'm, I'm in a job that I don't particularly like. I'm around people that I don't want to be around. But I'm doing it with the humility of, hey, that's just where I am in life. i got to work myself up. Keep doing what I do. Keep grinding how I grind. Happy hallelujah. And one day I'll break free of this jail. I shan't be a janitor forever. I'll be dead someday. So <laughs> there's always that grace, you know, the grace of death. <laughs> yeah. One day, I'm not going to be a janitor forever. I'm not going to be doing this job forever. I'll be dead someday, so then I can rest. But through the grace of recovery, through the grace of the internet, through the grace of y'all, people like you, I steadily grind away, and one day, um, you know, I will um, reap what I sow. Harvest my crop. You know, till the field, so to speak. One day my fruits will come to fruition. And um, till then, happy hallelujah, I'm a janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire, 10 years of experience. Working, well, I have worked as a professional comedian, as a middle act. For all y'all that don't know, a basic comedy show at a professional comedy venue, generally speaking, is there's an MC, a master of ceremonies, who opens the show. The MC opens the show, does like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Then the middle act comes on, myself. Um, You do like, you know, 10 to 20 minutes. Then the headliner comes on, does like 45 minutes or so. 45 to an hour. That's a typical comedy show. So I've worked professionally, semi-pro as a uh, middle act. (laughs) See, I forget. I forget things. That's how professional I am. So I've worked semi-pro as a middle act. I've produced my own independent shows. I've been on a lot of independent shows. The show that I produce, Our Righteous Mike. That's a show I produce here in Toronto, Canada. Here. And um, that's on hiatus. Who fucking knows what's going on with that? I'll talk about that at a later date. And uh, I've done a lot of open mics. And where I'm at right now in my career is um, just trying to have the gratitude, as I mentioned. Um, Grass always looks greener on the other side. We always want more. We always consider ourselves worthy of more or in a pursuit of a higher calling, whatever that is. I'm at a place right now where it's like, okay, the job of comic, the job of a comedian, to make an analogy, the analogy that keeps this keeps sticking in my mind is like this. Let's say I was a guitarist. Basically, I know how to play guitar. What I need now is a band. 
What I need now is an opportunity to perform. Does that make sense? Is that a good analogy? Like if I was a guitarist, I could say that I know how to play guitar. What I need to do now is get a band and write my songs. If I was a violinist, I'm not joking. But what I'm saying is like, basically, I'm a comic. I know how to be a comic. I have the experience. I have a bunch of material. I have a bunch of material that needs more flushing out, needs more work. I'm at the point right now where it's like I need better opportunities to further my growth as a comic. I got 10 years of experience as a comic. I got 18 years of experience as a actor. I got two years of experience, a little almost two years of experience as a podcaster. So it's like I got this experience. And specifically as a comic, what you need to do is write material and perform it. Well, right now, there's really no... The opportunities that are available to me right now, I'm not really liking them. I want better opportunities. And I feel like I'm worth better shows. Not even financially, but just I'm at a place right now where it's like, well, I know what I'm doing and I need the opportunity to kind of cultivate, to till the field, to really work on my, my material. I'm playing a lot of shitty little venues and stuff. I've got the gratitude for them, you know, thank God they exist or, you know, some people would have no opportunity. But it's time for me to move away from that. So that's what I'm doing. That's what I mean. I'm focusing on producing my own shows, as I mentioned, Our Righteous Mike. That's the show I produce here in Toronto, Canada. Who fucking knows what's going on with that? It's been a lot of um, ups and downs in 2019. If you should be interested in uh, hearing some of that, you could browse back in the catalog of Jonathan Ramtron the podcast, hear some of my little dealings with that. But um, that's where I'm right now. That's where I am right now as an actor, as a comic. That's where I am right now, trying to um, fill that gap, bridge that gap. And I guess that runs parallel to my acting as well. A lot of experience, a lot of fuck-ups, like, I mean, especially with the, the, when I mentioned the alcoholism. I used to go on stage absolutely trashed, high as fuck. I remember one time... You know, it was like this fairly well-produced independent show I was doing. It was like a worthy show, proper show. It was at a bar. Pardon me. And it was like a hot audience. And it was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. It was like in my early days. I don't know, maybe I was doing comedy for maybe two years at the time. I remember I was backstage smoking a joint. <laughs> the girl promoting the show, she comes up to me. She goes, you smoke weed before you go on? How could you smoke weed before you go on stage? I remember I just looked at her. Because I don't give a fuck. Jonathan Ram, to the stage, please. I walk on the stage and I killed it. Then for like the next seven, eight years, I was just a bumbling drunk. Just a fucking rudderless uh, substance abuser. Bumbling around on stage, trying to get people's attention. Oh, I'm an actor. Oh, I'm a comic. Oh. So I'm very excited for my uh, step forward in my comedy career. Because I've recently said, no, 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 no. 
No more uh, shitty little independent gigs. Rather, no more uh, open mics. Now, I'd love to come back to the open mic scene by my choice. Meaning, I would love to come back and do open mics at some point because I choose to. Right now, it's almost like I've been relegated. Forced to do these shows where it's like, there's no omnipotent person There's no powers that be, there's no agenda, no conspiracy forcing me to do these shows. It's just that, due to circumstance, that's what's being shown to me. What's being shown to me is that all that's available, the low-hanging fruit, all that's readily available is open mics. So what I'm saying is, I think I'm worth more than that, so I'm going to reach higher and that's the beauty of this podcast and that's the beauty of what I'm trying to say in general about gratitude because I'm reaching high it's easy to look at things in life and say oh I wish this I wish that and oh this is so hard and how come I don't have here or how come I'm not, I don't have this or how come I don't have that or how come I don't get what I want sometimes look at your life have a little gratitude And realize, and I'm speaking to myself, by the way. (laughs) I know that I'm looking right at you. But um, I'm really speaking to myself and to anybody listening. Hey, sometimes you need to realize that you're actually quite... You are actually reaching quite high. You're reaching high. That's one of the best um, pieces of advice. And, uh, well, not really advice, but you could call it... um, I don't know, motivation or that, that was a kind, those were kind words that somebody once told me in recovery. One of my, um, he was my uh, sponsor at the time. <laughs> he, he says to me, um, yeah, so like, you know, so what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm an actor. I'm a comic. I'm... Sometimes that's the thing too, because as a comic and as an actor, um, when you're not firing on all cylinders, when you're not really getting the work or you know, the grass always looks greener. You, you tend to feel a little bit of self-loathing. You can when you're ungrateful. You can feel like a, a bit of a self-loathing. Oh, you know, woe is me, uh, my career. Uh. You can tend to feel that way if you want. You can always feel however you want to feel. But, you know, it's pretty common to feel low <laughs> when you don't get what you want. And um, I remember I was telling my sponsor, I'm like, yeah, I'm an actor, I'm a comic. And he goes, wow, so you're reaching pretty high. Yeah, I'm reaching pretty fucking high. You know, it ain't for the faint of heart. This isn't a fucking goofball little fucking thing I'm doing here. This takes skill, dedication, heart, um, time management, persistence, um, confidence, Artistry, skill, due diligence, insight, intellect, integrity. It takes a lot of fucking shit to be a fucking performer and talk about dick and penises. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of heart. It takes a lot of skill, craft, dedication. It takes going through a fucking um, drug-induced alcoholic stupor for fucking 16 years. Then you step back and you think about it. What does this all really mean? 
Well, what it means is that I'm loving the art in me versus loving myself in the art. Because if I could walk away from this unscathed, if I could just turn my back on this and never give a boomba clot, blood clot, fuck, just walk off on this fucking bitch and never return, if I could, I would. That's another thing I heard in um, theater school. If you can truly do something that you love more than performing, then do it. Because this is a tough road and it ain't for the faint of heart. So if I could, if I could just turn, turn my back, I'm not, I'm not crying by the way, there's something in my eye. And even if I was, so what? I'm an actor. We cry all the time on cue. Cry. That was one of the worst. <laughs> I was doing this horrible fucking independent film like three years ago. And, um, oh my God, this poor bastard, he was playing, it was like this like new age version of like Romeo and Juliet. It was so whack. But anyways, this poor bastard, he's dressed up in leotards. This motherfucker's wearing tights. He's wearing tights and those puffy fucking, those puffy neck things that like those old idiots that played the lute. A lute's more like a, but whatever, you know, those old time idiots that dress up like, you know, like in the Middle Ages, he was dressed up like some idiot in tights, like Romeo, and he's on the ground, and the director's got a camera in his face, nice tight close-up on the guy's face, right? And he's just like, okay, cry. Cry. Cut. I said cry. Okay, we're going to try this again, and roll him, and cry. <laughs> he's just yelling at the guy, Cry. So that's what I mean. I'm loving myself in the art rather loving the art in me versus loving myself in the art. There's so many fucking boneheads bumbling around out there loving themselves in the art. Like, what the fuck? You don't know anything, bro. You don't know anything about directing. You don't know anything about acting or actors to give a direction like that. Cry. Yet that's a person hell-bent on being in the industry. To look a certain way. Oh, I'm an artist. I'm a director. I'm a director. Oh, look at me. Uh, 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 uh. I'm, a, I'm a director. Cry. And action. Cry. Roll them. I'm directing things. Cry. You fucking no dick, buddy. Fuck off. Eat a penis, you penis wrinkle. And, you know, that's that. That's what, I'm, that's what I learned. It's like, if I could walk away from this bitch and never return, I would. But it's like, I've chosen to do it. I love the art in me versus myself in the art. I keep, re I keep repeating that, but I think that's important. And that's parallel. That runs parallel to anybody. You got to love what you do versus how you look, what you're doing. Whatever you do, do it good. Whatever you do, do, do now, do it good. It's not what you look like when you're doing what you do. It's what you're doing when you're doing what you look like you're doing. Express yourself. I remember once I was drunk and high in a men's shelter. We're all fucked up, right? I was on pills too. I was taking, um, what were they? Uh, ecstasy. MDMA as the kids call them. I was taking MDMA in a men's shelter, getting drunk and high, and we were listening to Express Yourself. Express Yourself. 
So you got to express yourself in whatever you do. You got to love yourself, what's in you. You got to love what's in you in your art versus yourself in the art. So don't become a plumber just to look like a fucking plumber. Don't become a fucking accountant just to look like an accountant. Don't be a janitor just to look like a janitor or this. That. You got to love what you do or what's the fucking point of doing it? It's got to inspire you. Don't you want to wake up every day inspired versus like, oh my God, another fucking day? Oh my God, another fucking day. Why would you live that way? You got to wake up inspired, man. You got to wake up inspired, giddy up and go. Happy, hallelujah, hungry, determined. With a destination in mind. And you know what? It's not the journey. Rather, it's not the destination. It's the journey of life that counts. At least that's what they say. Going forward, very happy and hopeful, as always. Um, Those are the things that sum me up for the moment. Jonathan Ramtran, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So yeah, that's a bit of a video update. I used to go to a place called Video Update a lot, actually, to rent uh, VHSs. That's how I first got into acting. When I really got into acting was... um. You know, I used to go to this video store called Video Update. This was like 2002. DVDs were starting to become more prominent in, you know, the world, society. And I could rent like two VHS tapes for 99 cents. And that's when I was on the cusp of, um, not on the cusp, but the beginning rather, of my artistic journey. And I would go rent all these VHS tapes and I'd watch all the greats, the Meryl Streeps, the Denzel Washingtons, the Morgan Freemans, the fucking, um, you know, Richard Burton, uh, you know, the fucking whatever the fuck, the Bette Midlers, the fucking Clint Eastwoods, you know, the fucking, you know, whatever. I'd, I'd go rent all these movies and I'd watch all the greats, the Al Pacinos, the, Den, uh, the fucking Denzel Washingtons, like I mentioned, the fucking Robert De Niro's, um, I'd go and I'd watch all these VHS tapes and I'd learn about the greats and the films and the this and the that. And that was a video store called Video Update where I went and I did that. And this is a video update for the podcast, Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, episode 89. Um, I've been very blessed and fortunate to have you here this day or night or morning or maybe you're in jail right now and you've siphoned some Wi-Fi and you're in a holding cell, and maybe that's where you're watching this. I have no idea. But that's the beauty of the internet. That's the beauty of um, podcasts. You listen to them when you can, when you can, where you can, how you can. And um, can you do the can-can? It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran, reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 25th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Thank you very much for listening. That's just kind of an introduction into what's going on on the podcast. More interesting things to come. Um, all As always, go check back on some of the episodes before if you want. 
you know, give yourself a little bit more of a insight into the show. Or don't. <laughs> but anyways, very grateful for having you. If you have any questions, queries, or qualms, please hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. Alright? Peace. Thank <laughs> you.